I was looking for an illustration to start off this morning, and I found one that I think is really good, but it falls short. So I want to tell you what the illustration is, and I want to tell you how it falls short, okay? So I want you to just imagine, if you could, that you found out somehow that three months from right now, the value of the dollar was just going to absolutely plummet because the national currency of the United States would become the yen, or make up whatever current, the rubles or whatever, denarii. But whatever currency it is, you knew that the value of the dollar was going to go down, and so that you knew that coming up here in about three months, that, uh, that that was all going to change. And what is so valuable now would be worthless in the future, right? So what would you do? You, would, of course, spend the next three months taking all of your dollars and putting those into that and whatever currency that's going to be. Let's say it's the yen. You just, you're going to buy all the yen that you can because you know that at some point when it goes public and everybody knows... The, the value of the dollar is going down and the value of the yen is going up. That would, everybody's spending their dollars to buy yen and so the value of the dollar plummets further. Value of the yen goes up. The reason I think that that illustration is kind of good is that it like, it takes something that we know that is valuable right now. The dollar. We all agree on the dollars, you know. It's kind of how we pay for mortgages and stuff like that. Here's the thing that's wrong with the illustration. This is what falls short. That what we're going to be talking about today is not an investment strategy. It's not an impersonal thing. I, my, I had several different big ideas rolling around. When you're a preacher, you're supposed to have a thing called a big idea, which is basically what you're trying to communicate in one very short sentence. So I had some ideas rolling around. That, like, it's better to lean into God's promises than to settle for the here and now. Or something like, we should live in uh, live now in light of eternity, or live with eternity's values and views, something like that. But the problem is that none of those takes into account something that is absolutely crucial in this whole thing. What we look forward to in heaven is not just some stuff. It's not just a better experience. I'm not trading my best life now for my best life later. And this morning, what I want to demonstrate is as we talk about being far from home, how to live as an, in an, as an exile in today's world, what I hope that we will see is that the reason it's worth it to live as an exile now is because Jesus is better. It's not the stuff. It's not the things that we can have. It's Jesus is better. So last week we talked, uh, Andy talked about how mankind was exiled from the garden. Okay, so uh, God made Adam and Eve. Everything was good. It was all perfect. And then mankind sinned. We went and took the fruit. We disbelieved God, went and took the fruit and ate it. So because he, because Adam sinned, he was exiled from the garden. You all remember that? Is that, are we... Awake here. I like how uh, over on this side we're really practicing the stay six feet apart, save lives thing still. Uh, yeah, good job, you side. Um, you guys over here, you're all going to die. So um, uh, it's just hilarious looking at the disparity of people. So um, what I, uh, the, the idea is that we're, sorry, I've kind of interrupted my own really bad news. Uh, so we are, we are exiled from the garden. We're sent away from God's presence. And the whole idea that I think that Andy was communicating this last week is that the way back to God is not by working our way, like doing everything right. It's really 
by finding where we left that path. We left the path when it wasn't just taking the fruit. We took the fruit because we disbelieved God. We doubted His goodness. We doubted that He had, that, that He was good toward us. And we said, we think you're holding back. And so we disbelieved Him and that's what led to sin. So the way back is to trust God. The way back is to believe Him, to take Him at His word. Now how do we do that? Now that's a, that's a great news that we've been celebrating and singing about all morning. It's simply this, that we can't work our way back into the garden even just by good belief. What had to happen is that somebody had to come from the presence of God out into our exile. Had to come and find us to bring us back. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was sent from the Father. And all the ways in which we obeyed God, all the ways in which we fell short, Jesus did not. Jesus obeyed His Father perfectly. So He comes from the Father and comes to find us in our exile. And what does He do? He doesn't just say, man, I I did everything right. I don't know what's wrong with y'all. But He said, you know what? I have obeyed the Father perfectly and I'm here to not only give you my righteousness, I'm here to take your debt. I'm here to take what you bring to the table. So at the cross of Jesus, we see this great exchange where we bring all that we've got. And He brings all that He's got. We bring our sin, we bring our shame, and we bring the death that comes with all that. Jesus comes. He brings His life. He brings His obedience. He brings victory. And they're exchanged at the cross. And I think my favorite summary of the gospel was something Charles Spurgeon said a long time ago. He said, you can now stand before God, the judge, you can stand before God as if you were Jesus. Because Jesus stood before God as if he were you. Amen? So this morning what we're looking at is we're looking in Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to set this up just a little bit. We have been, we can be reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, is that this whole world lives in exile. This whole world lives separated from God. So, living for Jesus, following Jesus in this world, it seems like it should be pretty easy because it's God's way and all that kind of stuff. But the truth is, it's really hard. It's hard because this whole world stands opposed to the things of God. This whole world system is designed to like make living separated from God, living disconnected from God, tolerable. That's the whole world system. So we're kind of cutting against the grain when we decide to follow Jesus. And so this letter is written to the Hebrews that we're going to be looking at this morning. And the Hebrews were some Christians who were like, man, they had, they had gone through it and it had been tough, but they decided, you know, we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to stick with Him. But man, they were just about ready to throw in the towel. It was just, this is just too hard. It's going against the grain for too long. And it's, it's kind of like that, um, you know, that point at, at which in the illustration from earlier, it's like, well, you're selling all your stuff, you're getting rid of all your dollars, and you start to go, wait a minute. Like, that thing's really happening, right? You know what I'm talking about? Jesus gave the parable, he said, it's a one-verse parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven 
is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. How on earth is that like the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's a little bit like this. That in order to have what's in the field, I can't just have everything that I already have and have the treasure in the field too. So what i got to do is I've got to sell my stuff here. I've got to get rid of that. It's kind of like Jesus saying, if anybody wants to be my disciple, he's got to deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Now, we hear that. We're pretty familiar with that. But when you're talking about that, that's it, it, when Jesus said that, that's, that had some teeth to it. Take up your cross and follow me. So the, the idea is you sell everything that you have so that you can have that treasure, but you don't do it because you're like, gosh, I don't know. You do it, Jesus says, it's in his joy he goes and he sells all that he's got. And the reason is that what Jesus has is better than what this world offers. What Who Jesus is, is more valuable than anything that this world can give us. That's why we celebrate communion here. This is why we remember Jesus regularly, because this is, this is everything. So we're going to pick up here in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read this. So Hebrews eleven thirteen to 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, They would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This passage starts out saying, these all died in faith. Who? Who are these? Well, just before this, in the in the chapter, this author is talking about Abraham, uh, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob. These died in faith. Not having received the things promised. So, so Abraham was promised a great land, a big, a big area. And there's kind of a lot of fighting about that right now. He was promised a great land and he was promised that his children would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens. But during Abraham's life, he didn't see any of those things come to fruition. He didn't, he was in the land some, but he didn't possess it. And he had one son, one son of the promise. He didn't see his offspring become as numerous as his stars. But he, having seen them and greeted them from afar, he saw enough of God's promise to believe that God keeps his promises. He had seen enough to know that. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, that means they accepted that they were living for another home and that this world was not their home. They're seeking a homeland. Their affections are toward their homeland and they seek that homeland while living elsewhere. It says they desire a better country. This faith is more than knowledge. It springs from the affections. And they believe God, even though they didn't see the fullness of the results. Therefore, God's not ashamed of them and takes care of them both now and in the future that they've been waiting for. So the big idea here is that Jesus is better. I want to, what I want to do is I want to take this passage from Hebrews and I want to just pull out three principles and just talk about some ways that that's going to apply to our lives and we're going to go. All right. So the first principle is this. It, well, the big idea is Jesus is better. Just in case I was not 
perfectly clear on that. <laughs> oh no, the little animation thing doesn't work. I had an awesome animation thing. Actually, it wasn't that awesome. It was just the animation up here. But um, I was very excited about it because I haven't used it for like eight years. Uh, okay, so faith. Some, I want to before we get uh, into the thing, I want to talk about faith. What is faith? When he's talking about these died in faith, what are we talking about when we say the word faith? Number one, I want to talk about some things that faith is not, and then I want to talk about some things that faith is. Number one, faith is not a vending machine. You know a vending machine, you go up to it, you take the right amount of money, you put it in, and you put E4, and then you get your Snickers, right? This is not what he's talking about when faith. That's not how you get what you want. It's not uh, doing the right thing so that God gives you a life of ease, comfort, and cash. It's also not, and this is another common misconception of people who grew up in the church like me, faith is not the end user agreement, you know all familiar with the end user agreement? Are you familiar? Can you, are you awake? Sorry, I know I've been doing a terrible job so far, but are we awake? End user agreement? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, you don't, you liars, because none of you read them. <laughs> none of us knows what's in the end user agreement. You know what you do? You scroll to the bottom and you say, sign, I accept. We have no idea where, oh, I, yeah, we have no idea what we're accepting here. The end user agreement is the list of legal jargon that the owners want you to sign off on. That is not what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is also not a blind leap. It's not anti-intellectual. You know, I've heard people talk about uh, their faith. You know, faith is just really important to me. And I just, I just believe that everything's just going to work out. I just kind of believe in the universe. I'm just speaking this into the universe right now. Like, what is that based on? Like, you just... That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And there's kind of an anti-intellectual thing that seems to go along with faith sometimes that I think is really harmful. So when we talk about faith, we're not talking about just a blind leap. Or another example of this is saying, you know, um, this person is a man of science. So he's, he's too grounded in facts that he could never really be a person of faith. Being a person of faith and believing in science these are not, if they're Venn, di- Venn diagrams, they're not completely separate, right? These aren't, um, these don't, aren't at war with one another. It's also not, lastly, meology. And when I say meology, I mean it's believing whatever I want to believe. So this is kind of the opposite of a creedal faith where, like, I, I agree to these sets of things. It's just saying, I just kind of believe a bunch of stuff about God, and I just kind of take some of the good stuff that I really like, and I just kind of reject some of the stuff that I don't really like. Um, there's a great um, meme about that, but I won't say it. Um, my faith is really important to me, and no one can or should question another's faith, as long as it's sincere. This is not biblical faith. So when we're talking about faith, we're not talking about this. Here's what we're talking about, and I really wish I had the little thing here. Uh, uh, faith involves confident action. Number one, faith involves confident action. Noah built an ark. Abraham left his home. This faith that is described in Hebrews, it talks about doing something. And it's also, it's action that's taken in response to the unseen God and his promises. When, especially when there's no visible reason to do so. Here's the faith that we're talking about. It says, this is who my God is, I believe him, I take him at his word, and though it seems to war against a lot of things inside me, I'm going to believe God anyway. 
That's faith. It also has various outcomes, and I think it's important for us to realize this. Sometimes we have this, this idea of faith that it's going, like if I just believe enough, it's going to happen. If I believe God enough, I'm going to be healed. And you know what? That ain't true. It's just not. Sometimes we believe God and an awesome miracle happens. Sometimes we believe God, a miracle doesn't happen. But faith is saying, God, I trust you no matter what. Faith, biblical faith, does not require immediate outcomes, but believes that God can do anything. It holds on despite circumstances and leans into God's promise because Jesus is better. Um, some of you guys know that my dad is a pilot. He's a small engine pilot. And, um, and I think maybe a good illustration of this is, have you ever thought about like guys flying when you're on an airplane going to Disneyland or whatever, and there's fog on the runway or it's just zero visibility? Have you ever thought about how on earth do they know where they're going? Well, I can tell you, my dad's an awesome pilot, but he doesn't know because he is what's called VFR. That's visual flight rated. I, Rich will correct me after this, but, um, he's, he's visual flight rated. That means he can fly when he can see. But the thing is that, like, some of these pilots, they're flying and they can't see things. In fact, uh, I watched some videos in uh, my deep preparation for this message of people landing when they can't see hardly anything on the runway. And it's pretty amazing because you know what they do? They fly completely by their instruments. And what's weird about it is as you're watching this video, you see this big plane starting to come down and you're seeing it from, like, the, the pilot's perspective. You can't see anything on the runway. And every once in a while you see a thing that's like, oh my gosh, what's that? And I would be like, ugh. But the thing is, he's trusting the instruments. And the idea of faith here is that we're saying we trust the instruments enough that even though it feels like, man, I've, I, I swear that we, there, we got a, another 150 feet down before we land. It's trusting in the instruments enough to say, I can confidently Put this plane on the ground. That's what we're talking about. So Jesus is better. Point number two is that Jesus is better. So we have, we can accept this. Exiles accept that their current residence is not their home. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So you have to accept. If you're going to live as an exile in this world, you have to accept that it, this is not your home. Exiles accept being different from those around them. First Peter 4 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of Glory and of God rests upon you. So when we stand with Jesus, we're going to stand out from this world, and we just need to accept that. The world is going to look down on us because we don't give blank check affirmations of whatever someone believes or practices. We don't affirm, we don't affirm homosexual marriage, not because we don't like it, but because God's word clearly instructs against it. We don't support the genocide of the unborn, not because we don't like it, but because God's word calls child sacrifice an abomination. 
We don't call evil good, and we don't call good evil. And I'm not trying to get all political up in your face, but here's the truth of it. We're living in a time and culture where right now it's getting hard. And some of us get a little uncomfortable with that. Can I encourage us? The faith that was handed down to us through the apostles was made for this. It was made for this. And some of us as parents uh, raising kids up right now, it's it can be a little bit scary. And I've, you know, um, I've experienced some of that. But the truth is this. Our kids that we're raising up right now, they are going to be the missionaries to this time and place and culture that I could never be. There's too many things I could like, oh my gosh, I don't know how you're going to cross that thing. Well, you know what? My kids are just growing up in that world. It's just what they're used to. And so that kind of like opposition, all the stuff, the things that make us uncomfortable, I want to encourage us. Our kids are going to be missionaries to this generation in a way that we can never do it. But here's the thing that, man, like, so far we've said, we've said Jesus is better, but I don't know that I've talked about that whole, whole lot. All I've done is I hope done a really great job of showing you that this faith is not easy. It's going to cost us friends. It has cost me friends. It is, it's going to cost you relationships. It could cost you money. It could cost you contracts if you're a contractor. It can cost us a lot of things, but I want to make it clear. We don't do this just because of the investment that in, in heaven, everything that like the, the numbers are all going to scramble out. We do it because Jesus is worth it. We do it because Jesus is better and knowing him. So I guess Part of the thing that we have to consider, and I'm just interrupting my own message here. Part of the thing that we have to consider when you're trading your dollar for yen, for example, is you've got to really believe a couple of things. One, you've got to believe that the, the, the yen thing is actually going to happen. And number two, you've actually, during the middle of that, you've actually got to see what it does cost you. Because this is going to actually cost us some things. But sometimes we get so afraid of the cost that we don't really even think about what does this actually cost me. So I want us to think for just one second. Um, some of us are well out of high school. Have you gone back to your 20-year reunion or 25-year reunion or, or whatever? Anybody? Have you done this? No? I, got, I see a bunch of no. Okay, there's a couple of yeses. I went back and my value system was so radically different. I didn't recognize the people that I was hanging out with and thought were so valuable. The things that I thought were so valuable at that time. It was like, it, it was completely meaningless now. Uh, as a, as a, I think I was in like my 30s when I went to one of them. And the thing is, all those things that seem like they're so important in the time, when you're in high school, it's just, oh my gosh, this is so important. You know what? As you get a little bit older, it doesn't matter at all. Uh, so your looks, for example, those go. Did you know that your popularity goes and it goes really, really fast? Um, I, I think of, do you guys remember, and this was not that long ago, do you remember these little things that were taking the world by storm called a fidget spinner? Do you remember everybody had one of those? I haven't seen a fidget spinner in years now. But that was like the thing for like a month. 
And the truth is, all the things of this world, they come and they go. Some of them last a month. Some of them last a few years. You might have some money, and that might last you for a long time. But you know what? When you die, you die penniless. You don't take any of it with you. The thing about Jesus is Jesus made the world, the Bible says. He made us in his image. He made us for relationship with him. He made us for tight connection with him. And so, like, this is this connection that we're designed for. God wants to have that with us. And it's like having him, for me, uh, when it, you know, a number of years ago when I said, man, I gotta change my life, I gotta get some things right, I lost uh, a lot of friends. And the truth is, um, I did not miss it one bit. I thought I was going to. I lived much of my high school life think, being afraid of what I was gonna lose. And, um, and I tell you what, it was, it was the weirdest thing, uh, spending all this time alone and just reading God's word for the, like, kinda for the first time. It was the sweetest thing ever. Do you remember that? Have you had that? Don't forget that when we're thinking about counting the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. Back to the message, sorry. Exiles seek the good of the city in which they live. We're going to just motor through some of these. Uh, exiles look forward. Exiles seek their homeland. Uh, exiles embrace suffering for a better kingdom. This is what Jesus said. He said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we're excluded and feeling the relational pain of following Jesus, we're actually following Jesus in our suffering. We're following him in the footsteps and we're joining him in his, uh, in his willing ex- joining us in exile. Exiles uh, honor the Lord by pursuing excellence. Have you thought of the example of Daniel? Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. You remember the story of Daniel taken as an exile from Judah into Babylon. And it's like, oh man, this is, you know, so obviously your God is nothing because the Babylonian God won. But Daniel stayed faithful to his God, right? And then I, you notice what, what happens next there in Daniel 1.20. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them, this is Daniel and his friends, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. We are called to excellence, uh, to pursue excellence as a way to honor the Lord. That's what Daniel did when he was in exile. And finally, exiles seek to save the lost. In 1 Peter 3, it says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you want to see people in your life come to faith in Jesus? Honest question. You don't have to answer out loud right now, but do you want to see people in your life come to faith in Jesus? Who is going to tell them? 
You are uniquely placed as a representative of Jesus in the lives of people at your school, your gym, your workplace, and your family. And oftentimes we don't hesitate, we hesitate to share the gospel because we're too afraid. We hesitate to share the gospel actually though because we don't fear enough. Sometimes we value our friendships more than we actually value our friends. And if we really thought through what it's costing them to not hear the gospel, maybe it would make it a little bit more worth it to us to tell them the gospel. This is what Elliot Clark says, and I'll close with this. If we continue the pattern of waiting for perfect opportunities, they may never come. And our fate will be that of the wary farmer who observes the wind and doesn't sow, who considers the clouds and never reaps. Such farmers have empty barns in the winter. The, the, to live as exiles in this time and culture, it means that we will be pursuing the reason for which God left us here, which is very clear. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you. And that makes it worth it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for what you've done for us in sending your son to come join us in our exile. We thank you, Lord. We pray that you would uh, be with us as we walk these, um, these days where it seems uncertain, where so much is changing. Lord, help us to not just invest in eternity, but to walk with you in the here and now. Um, and that we would seek to bring as many people with us as we can. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, Westside, you are dismissed. We will see you here next week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you, turn his face toward you, and give you peace.